Hi, welcome to Olim to the Scene, where we talk to all your favorite Olim about living in Israel, their Aliyah story, politics, and more. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, and it's great to have you here. Let's begin. Welcome back to Olim to the Scene. I'm your host, Matan Goldman, today here with Hillel Davis. Hello, hello. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. So let's begin, Hillel. What are your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations? Uh, where are you from? We can start with the, the last question. Where are you from? Sure. Uh, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. Okay. Uh, and uh, my dream is to, uh, to help people. Your dream is to help people. So obviously you're helping people in Israel. How did you get to Israel? Great question. Um, I grew up in a very Zionistic family. Um, who were, you know, foundational, oh, sorry, they're among the founders of my, uh, of my school, which is also very Zionistic, which is part of a very Zionistic um, community. So I sort of had these ideas surrounding me from a young age, um, part of B'nai Akiva for a very long time, um, going on Machach Arts, one of the B'nai Akiva programs was very influential on me. So I sort of had different influences coming from different directions for a very long time. And then once I was here for, uh, came for Yeshiva for a year, I saw that it was a real possibility to actually stay here. Where, where did you go to Yeshiva? I went to Yeshiva in Hartsi on the Gush. Very good Yeshiva. I too was also there. So you went to Yeshiva and then um, you decided to stay. So obviously a classical role, what I did would be to stay and do Hezder, do the army. Was that, uh, was that what you were thinking, or how do you think? So, so that was not an option for me. Um, Can I ask par- why? Yeah, my parents had very clear rules. I'm the youngest of four boys. Right. <laughs> and so the rules were very made, made very clear to me over the course of the years. With each sequential son going to yeshiva, the rules are reinforced about you can go for one year, and then you yeah. come back to uh, you know American University, where you spend a lot of money on your day school education, time to bring it to the next level. Uh, but also as the youngest child, there was a little bit more flexibility of how those rules really uh, work. Right, we already have three kids that are doing what we want. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also the fact that the the situation in Israel had changed in terms of what opportunities were available. Yeah. Um, so there, were, there weren't really any, either English speaking or in general, there weren't a lot of Americans coming to study university in Israel um, yeah. until that point. And it was not long before I got there that it started becoming more of a acceptable and, and viable option. Um, and so friends of mine were starting to do it and their parents were talking to my parents once once they saw the price tag the difference in the price tag right like, okay we get, we're open to exploring the option so what what was the option that you ended up exploring so Bari Lan University had just started an international program yeah um, and so I was deciding between there and IDC um, which also had an English speaking program and uh, my parent we when my parents came for a visit I brought them to both schools we got tours of both of them, and they gave their stamp of approval. They said, you still have to go to university first before yeah. anything else. Um, if you can figure out how to do that before doing the army or whatever, then choose, choose the option that's uh, best for you, and we're, and we're supportive. So right. thank God they, were, they, were, uh, they really allowed me to, to make the next step in coming here. So, so what was the way you did, right? Uh, there are people who do this. They push off making their aliyah. They do atuda, and then they use their degree in the army. What, what, how, how did you... Um, "Quote unquote," push off the army. Yeah. So um, the the official way that I did it was through Atudat Olim. Yeah. Although I had to unofficially push it off first. I only technically made Aliyah in the middle of my first year in Barilan, so I wasn't didn't actually get my draft notice until the end of my first year. Right. For those who don't know, what is Atudat Olim? Yeah, Atudat Olim essentially is a program designed to allow academic excellence um, from the Israeli high schools. 
to use their, their knowledge in the army at a professional level. Yeah. So uh, they allow them to get their degree first. They do their, their basic training during summer vacation, things like that, um, with the eventual goal of them being more professional soldiers. So Atadatu Alim is a little bit of a twist on that because um, I didn't do basic training because I wasn't in I was an Israeli citizen yet. I didn't have my draft notice yet, but it was still the same kind of idea of allowing me to complete my degree first and then you, and then using that degree or theoretically using the degree in the army. Yeah. So obviously, it sounds like if you're gonna do a degree for the army, it should be engineering, something useful, <laughs> economics. So what what was your major in? Yeah. So my major didn't really have so much to do with what I actually did in the army. <laughs> Um, I studied economics, political science, and sociology, um, but I had protexia. Protexia is a very important way of getting of getting around in Israel. Um, I was already uh, we'll, we'll get, talk about real estate later, but I was already working in real estate uh, at the time while I was a student. And guy who I was working with, his daughter um, was high up in this unit, and it was fifteen minute the, the base of fifteen minutes from where I was living. It was close to Barilan, so I was able to yeah. sort of finagle at that. I could keep on working um, in real estate and keep on living in Givat Shmuel and go home every day and, and serve in this unit. What was the unit? It's called Mamda Marach Madei Hainagut. It's the I was in the basically the organizational uh, consultancy of the army. And what does that involve? You have to like look at how it's structured, figure out optimal. They do a lot of different things. Um, if if you, if you can tell us what you do. So what I what I personally did was I was sort of on the back end. So we had people in the field as consultants for every different... What unit were you in? I was in Handasakrabi. Handasakrabi. So they probably had a consultant to your captain, to your or to your, one of your officers, who was helping with dealing with all kinds of different psychological challenges, organizational challenges. Um, so people spread throughout the army doing that. And I was on the back end making sure that knowledge was being shared between different branches of the unit, um, helping publish different uh, journals on the topics, organizing... Um, uh, events where they were sharing uh, sharing knowledge and having higher ups from the army sort of bringing their expertise. Right, and said so you're working in real estate. We'll get to that in a moment. So you finished the army. Seems like an enjoyable service, like interesting stuff, right? Uh, it had its moments. It had its moments, but in general, it was just the army. Um, it was it was a it was perfect for where I was in life, and that it allowed me to do a lot of the other things that I was already involved in because I joined the army at an older age. Yeah. Um, and I was already, already had a degree, um, was already dating and was able to, and I was already working. I was able to continue doing what I was already doing and develop further over the course of the army. I got my MBA, I got yeah. married, I started my own business. Um, so I felt like it contributed to, to, certain, to a certain degree. Like I said, right. there were other moments. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I did it. I was there for, you know, two years and eight months. So over the course of the time, I did definitely contribute here and there. Um, but it helped me really integrate into Israeli society. My Hebrew got significantly better. Um, I remember when I was in basic, I was in basic training. I was with guys who I was not going to be with the rest of the army. Yeah. So I was like, this is my time to fake an accent and right. see where it goes. I'm never going to see these people again in my life. Now I'm going to put in the accent and however, you know, and I had a great time with it. Do you talk well in an Israeli accent? I, I, I like my American accent. I like having it. Yeah. Listen, over the, after a sentence or two, Israelis will pick up on the fact that it's an yeah. accent. They may think it's a French accent. They may not necessarily know it's a, but, it, but I think, I think it's good to have a little bit of a, a reminder that I'm, that I'm an Ola. Uh, but I'm no longer an Ole Chadash. I'm just an Ole. Yeah. 
Um, so the army and government agencies have programs where they can pay for your master's and I assume that's why you did an MBA. Would you have done an MBA anyways or was it just convenient that the... So they didn't actually pay for my, for my master's. They paid for two thirds or about a third of my bachelor's because I made Aliyah while uh-huh. I was still in my first degree. Because of the international program at the time cost more than an Israeli degree. Um, so they partially covered that and the MBA I had to pay for on my own. But part of the part of the Atu track is because they want us to continue our professional development. They give us time off over the course of the day, over the course of the week, for class, for tests. Um, so they facilitated my ability to to do the work school balance. Right. So after that, here we are today. You go into real estate, right? Um, well, I, I honestly I started real estate. I sort of stumbled into real estate accidentally much yeah. early on in the story. So let's talk about that because you said you started real estate in Barilan. Uh Yeah, yeah. I, when I first started, I wasn't really thinking of as going into real estate. I there was a, a, a decent sized wave of people making Aliyah the same year as me, um, and so I had trouble finding an apartment. And someone totally out of the blue hooked me up with the perfect apartment. I didn't even tell them I was looking. Someone who heard through the grapevine while I was searching. This was in Givat Shmuel. In Givat Shmuel, yeah. yeah. And so the following year, as sort of a hakara dato, when I saw a lot of other people were posting, I thought maybe I, I'd, I'd help them out. And there was just a lot of people looking. There was this big wave of people making Aliyah to Givat Shmuel that year. And I like thinking... Like as, as students or like families? Mostly students. Um, some were lone soldiers, Benot Shirut. Right. Um, and I like to think of things work things systematically and sort of think in an organized way. And there were just posts all over the place and no one was seeing each other's requests or demands. So I basically made just a Google form and said, you know, what are you looking for? And I tried being like a roommate shidduch. Yeah. And within a week, I had a list of 50 people who were looking for apartments. But I only had like three people who told me they're leaving their apartments. And I realized there's an opportunity here. Um, so I sort of put together a flyer and... And my friend was studying graphic design. He made me a logo and I just paid a couple people to put out a couple thousand flyers in people's mailboxes. And between classes, I was getting phone calls with people saying that they're looking to rent out their apartments. I wasn't pretending, I didn't claim to be a realtor. I wasn't charging a full realtor fee. I was mostly just helping out my friends. Um, but very quickly, you know, I rented out a few apartments like that. I was very busy and I was making some, some money on it. I realized I should do it, you know, the proper way. And was this like before Facebook groups? Because now there are Facebook groups and you find renters and you find roommates with that. Yeah, so this was the, the heyday of Camp Bar-Ilan, back when it was still called Camp Bar-Ilan. Yeah, it's still uh, called Camp Bar-Ilan. It's still called Camp Bar-Ilan because yeah. it had changed at some point, I believe. Um, and um, and just people weren't seeing, I guess things weren't archived well, but you'd see, over, you'd scroll through and you'd see someone looking for a roommate, looking to join an apartment and then you know two hours later someone else would post they're looking uh, to fill a room in their apartment but no one would see each other's posts because there were so many posts in between yeah so there was just this disconnect between what people were looking for what they had to offer so i figured i'd just make it into a google sheet right. what better way than to than you know keeping things organized um but certainly for finding apartments there was a lot more demand than there was a uh, supply of people saying that they were moving out um and so i literally you know i put together as much uh my best uh hebrew and a little bit of chutzpunch, walked into a real estate office and told them, who's the boss here? I've got, listen, I've got a list of 50 people looking for apartments. What can you offer me? And uh, we got to talking and eventually, uh, you know, they sort of, the, the guy basically took me under his wing and taught me the taught me the ropes, taught me what I need to do to get a real estate license, to do things the proper way. You literally just walked into the office? Yes, they were in the middle of a team meeting yeah. and I literally just interrupted them and I said, 
Me, I'm in a helpo. Who's the Who's the manager here? <laughs> the guy's like, who the hell are you? Um, and uh, and yeah, that, the rest is history. I worked with them for a couple of years. Um, first, sort of le- learning the ropes until um, I had my license. It took me, I think, it was two months before I actually got my license. And then I was able to work more independently. I ended up running the rentals department for the for the for the Givashmal branch of the office. Won some kind of awards in the na- in the national company. It was um it was a very it was a very cool experience um and i continued this like i said into the army um until unfortunately uh the my boss's health was declining and things weren't, weren't going well in the in the office for other reasons it was they sold the branch and uh eventually i realized it was time to to spread my wings and continue on my own journey everyone else in the office also was sort of continuing on their own or joining other branches yeah and um yeah, I took the plunge and started my own company, like I said, in the middle of the army and my MBA. But having the, the skills that I was learning, the knowledge I was le- learning from the MBA was helpful in some basic, you know, business knowledge. And so, people helped me out. Sorry, on, on a yeah. technical level, yeah. usually in the army, you're not allowed to work at the same yeah. time. So yeah, how, did, how does that work out? Yeah, yeah, great question. So because I was... Because right, in the army, they want you, uh, in the army, they want you making money. You're yes. supposed to be... Yeah, the, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so because I was a lone soldier, yeah. um, they get, so they, you can apply for what's called Ishura uh, Boda, for a work permit. It took some time, but, but, but eventually I got it. And, um, and that allowed me to work in the evenings and on Fridays. And like I said, my, my job in the army was a day job. So it was, it was basically a nine to five and it was 15 minute bike ride from home. Um, and, you know, I answered some phone calls here and there during the day, but I really tried to keep it to evenings because I didn't need it to support myself. I had the basics from the army and I was yeah. living with roommates, uh, but it was definitely helpful. But once, uh, once I got married, I got married while I was in the army, I needed mm-hmm. to support myself a little further and I had to get a new Ishura Vodab because I was no longer a, a lone soldier. Right. For those who don't know, you can't be both a lone and married soldier. Yeah. The- I- ironically, they, su- they assume that now that you're not a lone soldier, that you don't need the extra stipends. But of course, you need much more money when you're married. Yeah. So, uh, so I had to get a new. So I had to to speak to people, um, and eventually got a new um, a new uh, permit to continue working, and um, and yeah, I started the business small, and then I guess the next step was when I when I started meeting other people, started networking for myself. Yeah. Um, well, one yeah. more question. Sure. Um, real estate as a career especially in America, is kind of seen as a career that you don't necessarily need a degree for. That a lot of people, like specifically Haredi Jews in America, a lot of them are in real estate. Did you ever uh, consider at some point during your degree, like, why don't I just drop the degree, go into real estate? Or do you think that degree was helpful in some sense? Um, It's a good question. I think that my approach to real estate is very different than a lot of other, than a lot of the people in the field. Um, We take a much more... Um, systematic approach to how the business works as opposed to be f- being focused on just making a shit between a property and a person. Um, we have a much more involved business model. Um, and so I think that my, the sort of social studies, social sciences part of my degree helped me with understanding people. Right, um, I took a lot of classes in, in yeah, in, in army as well, of understanding uh, the psycho- you know, the psychological side, the sociological side, yeah, especially because I'm working primarily with the Lim Chadashim. Right. In the end of the day, I end up working as pretty much their social worker, of working, <laughs> helping them through their, the di- making difficult decisions. Where are they going to live? What about their grandmother who le- they're leaving behind? What kind of job are they going to do? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a much more encompassing um, sort of approach. 
And so definitely having a broader knowledge base helps to a certain degree. Um, and then the MBA helped with the, the business side of things because we're dealing, we're working on a high level in different kinds of deals and project, I mentioned before, before that we started, I'm doing some kind of different project management. Right. Um, and so being, you know, dealing certain to a certain degree also, you know, B2B. So being able to have that business sense and having the nuances and the, the, the lingo that goes along with it is certainly helpful. Right. So, go, so going back, you start your own business. You're talking about how you kind of take a more systematic approach. So when you start a real estate business, right, in a country where real estate is one of the most valuable investments, how do you differentiate yourself from the other realtors? Very simple. We care about people. Okay. Most people, the focus is on this is a property that I need to sell. I'm going to market it and push it at whoever is going to see my ad and, and find it. Yeah, I keep uh, getting in my mailbox the same realtor putting his flyer there like once a month. Yeah, exactly. It's like, Kone, Mocher. Like, okay, it's a very, very generic. Um, where our, our approach is in the States would be called a buyer's agent, um, but it's a little bit more than that. It's we focus on what people are, what people's long term. Um, housing needs are. We look at their whole housing journey and try to understand um, at a very deep level what their needs are, their personal needs, their familial needs, their financial needs and abilities um, for, you know, in terms of work um, and really try to deep deeply, dive deeply into what they're trying to accomplish and help them understand how, what processes they need to go through for that to be successful. So it's not just about the property, but it's about the entire process of whether they're renting whether they're buying or whether they're renting now and eventually hoping to buy, whether they're buying now and they're going to rent it out and eventually going to you know, continue renting somewhere else or buying and then renovating, uh, really understanding their whole lifetime. And you know, maybe their kids are going to buy next. We, we, have very, we, we have a number of families that are our clients, not just the individual. Yeah. We help the, the parents buy and then we renovate it for them and then we're managing it for them and then we help their kids buy a place and et cetera, et cetera. So why don't other real estate firms do this? It's too time consuming or? Yeah, I think to a certain degree, it's time consuming. To a degree, it's the, the business model for, for realtors is a very clear model. You, actually funny, I had a conversation with a, with a local realtor here and we tried really understanding how, is a difficult person to work with and we really try to understand like, how are you successful? He said, my business model is one word, biladiyut, exclusivity. That's his business model. Yeah. You, you push and push and push and like you said you put flyers in people's mailboxes you knock on doors until you get exclusivity and then people don't have a choice that they want the property they have to go through you because you have exclusivity um, but if we're on the searching side we don't care whether you buy this property that we're showing you or if we have to show you 50 more properties until we find the right one for you because we want you to be happy at the end of the day we don't want this property to sell we want you to find the place that's good for you Right. So maybe for any listeners who might be curious of going into real estate, what would you say are the necessary? All right. Obviously, your model is empathy. But would you say there are any other necessary skills for someone who wants to enter into a job as a real estate agent? Um, yeah, I think it's important to a lot of people think that I have a lot of people who have been posted in positions or internships and people a lot of people apply think this is sort of this part-time thing, or as we say in Hebrew, it's like, I'll be a realtor. Like, you have a lot of these, like, saftas who, like, part-time, between watching their kids, they'll show a couple apartments here and there. Right. Um, and maybe you can get lucky. There's some people who, you know, you need a couple times a year to make a 9 million shekel deal, and if you get 2%, that's, you know, 180,000 shekel, great, you've, you know, you've paid your salary for the year. But that's not really a sustainable model for most people. Um, you need to, you need to really... Uh, understand the processes involved, every step of the process, 
the mortgage aspect, the you know understanding pricing, because people people want to schmooze. You have an SEO. What's going on in the market? You need to know understand what's in the market. You right. need to know how to you know do the research and understand these are historical prices here's the averages of what's being sold being able to do the, so that, what the interest rate does yeah and how the interest rates going to affect um your mortgage um so you know I, I put together financial sheets for people all the time to help them budget for especially when they're buying as an investment but but definitely people who are buying as an individual there's a lot of calculations that go into whether something is worth you know financially a good decision or not when you're buying for your, for yourself to live in it's often more of a emotional decision than, than a financial decision, purely financial decision. Yeah. But at the end of the day, people have their financial limits. And right. so you need to understand um, that it's not just about looking at, here's a price, here's how much money I have in my bank, but there's a lot more nuance that goes into it. Right, because to some extent when you buy a house, you're paying all the rent in an apartment up front, right? It's, it's, a, it's a large amount for a house. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of there's a lot of costs that go into there's a lot of surrounding costs. Understanding with the taxes and different people, there's different approaches for how you're going to minimize your you know your taxes. You know, especially I have clients who are you know maybe middle age and have kids who are living here who are who are younger or students or whatever, and they need to decide. Okay, am I going to buy a place in my name in my children's name? What about how that's going to affect the mortgage? Um, there's a lot of different calculations that go into it. So so it's not just about the knowing what, how much things cost, but that's a big part of it, but also understanding all the other calculations. Um, that's definitely um, a skill that's important. Um, and I'd say also, you know, listening. Listening, I think, is the most important skill that, yeah. that I have that I try teaching people is if you're going to be working in any industry that's with people, is knowing how to listen to what they're really, what they're really asking for. Right, also an important skill in the podcasting sphere. Now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you the question that everyone listening wants to know. Sure. Israel, famously high house pricing, yeah. specifically in Tel Aviv. Sure. When will I be able to afford a house? Um, or is that a bad question? And there are plenty of affordable houses in Israel, but just not in the Merkaz. Well, we can put an Excel together afterwards. You can tell okay. me the numbers. I'll put it. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, the, the question that I, one of the questions that I get a lot is about when are prices going to go down? Yeah. People have been asking me that question for years. My my answer has generally been they're not going down anytime soon. Now I've tweaked my answer. Um, I do a lot of I do, read a lot of different reports, and there's still different opinions on things. Yeah. But, but of course, everyone is bringing an opinion also has a vested interest one way or another. Yeah. Even if they're an academic, they also may be an academic who owns ten apartments, and so they don't want prices to go down. But at the end of the day, um, what the the general consensus is that right now we're in a period where there's going to be a some a small dip. Yeah, I, think right. I don't think there's gonna be a crash. This I is guess, let, let's explain it for the listeners. Yeah, sure. Most people buy houses through mortgages, right? Yeah. Right, and a mortgage is heavily dependent on the interest rate. Meaning, the higher the interest rate, the more you'll have to pay over a set period of time. So until now, since around 2008, the interest rates have been historically low to drive growth. Now, with the current economic waves and shocks, they are, and inflation specifically, they are raising the interest rate in an attempt to lower the inflation, which also means that the mortgages themselves are much more expensive, probably meaning that less people will be able to buy, therefore less people will buy, and people will have to lower prices, right? Uh, yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, another part of it is the, is the economy contracting to a certain extent. A lot of, there's been a lot of layoffs. And even when people aren't being laid off, if they're nervous about being laid off soon, then they're going to be more conservative. 
So if someone needs a place to buy, then they're going to make sure they have a place to buy. Right. But if someone's currently comfortably living in a three-bedroom and they were thinking about upgrading to a four-bedroom because they're expecting some bonus sometime soon, and now their company's not giving out bonuses or they're not giving out, you know, they're not giving out raises or whatever it is, then they're going to stay in their three-bedroom for a little bit. They're not going to buy that four-bedroom. Yeah. Now on the other side of that four-bedroom is a developer who's expecting a certain number of people to be buying four-bedroom apartments. Right. So the develop there's it's a much more involved than the spot is going to go, but there's there's been waxes and wanes in terms of the pace at which new apartments have been being built, but because it takes because real estate is a much slower sector than let's say stocks, where stocks react right. very very quickly to changes, real estate reacts very very slowly to well, things. And in America right now, we're seeing a pretty quick dive, no, a pretty pretty quick fall. Yeah, but even a lot of the changes that are happening now are because of things that have happened months ago. Yeah. Okay. Um. You know, in, in stocks, someone looks you're expecting that there's going to be some kind of change, and so a stock will plummet. Yeah. Whereas in real estate, if someone if deals in the middle, of, deals can take months to happen. So you, even if you've you know, something bad is going to expect to happen. If you've already had a handshake agreement on a deal, you're probably not going to stop in the middle right now. Or you're not going to drastically change because yeah. your neighbor hasn't changed his price yet, so why should you change yours? There's a, the domino effect is much slower. There's also kind of a, a tension in real estate between, on the one hand, housing being a human right, people should live under a roof, and on the other hand, um, people buying housing as an investment and not wanting to lose on that investment and thinking if they wait it out or if they keep the price, um, millionaire, billionaire from America will eventually just take it, right? So Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. I'll finish my thought from before is that the developers are always a step behind in terms of understanding the, the, the demand. Yeah. And so whereas previously they weren't pr- producing enough, and so they ramped up production, but now this demand is going down because of the reasons we just discussed, people not, you know, because of uncertainty with people's jobs or because of interest rates, now they're, they've been over overbuilding because it takes a long, like I said, it's a very long process. Yeah. Um, you're going to like retract your, your request for a building permit when you're in the middle of the process. So as a result, you have a lot of developers who are being stuck with excess supply and they have, you know, they have uh, mortgages that they need to pay off. They're paying very high interest rates too. And building the cost of building materials went up over the course of the, the, the war in Ukraine. And so for a while, developers were trying to be creative in ways to not actually lower their prices, but give other kinds of incentives to get rid of inventory, get a free kitchen upgrade or better payment conditions. But if everyone's doing the same thing, then they're not really differentiating themselves. At right. the end of the day, the prices are going to go. You, they're marketing themselves very, very heavily. Obviously, I'm on enough websites that my cookies have been dropped in every place. So I get yeah. tons of ads about every single project being built in the country. Um, but... Um, but at the end of the day, some of them are going to ha- are lowering their prices a little bit. Right. And going back to the investor's point, an investor is buying because of almost gen- almost entirely because of financial reasons. Yeah. And so if suddenly it's just as much attractive for them to keep their money in the bank, if they you know, or put them in super safe things like yeah. bonds because interest rates are high, yeah. then why should they take a risk of buying in an apartment where their mortgage, where their interest rates are going to be so high that rent may not actually cover it? Right. The the the, the ideal when you're buying an investment property. You don't want to be putting money in an ongoing basis. You want yeah. the, the rent to cover your mortgage payments. But if interest rates are so high, then they may not cover the interest uh, payments. So you wait until interest payments are going to go down. It's not like you're in a rush. It's not like they're looking for a place to live in, like I said. Right. Um, so And that changes, by the way, will affect um, rents. Because if less places are being bought by investors, then there's going to be less places that investors are renting out. Right. So if the, even if the prices go down a little bit for purchasing, then rent is going to go up for everyone. 
And eventually, if, if rent goes up enough, then it becomes attract more attractive for investors to get back into the market because they're going to get a higher return, which is why I think there's going to be a dip in the market, but not a crash and burn right. because there's two sides to every coin. Fascinating. Anyone who wants to hear more about the real estate market from Hillel, I believe you have a, a video series, right? Housing with Hillel? Correct. Yeah. On you Facebook? Can, where you can visit it? it on YouTube. You can find it on our website on trustedhouse.com, I think, slash vlog, or you can see the top of the page. All right. Very cool. Um, so I'd like to talk briefly. We've talked about a number of different communities on the podcast, but it's primarily been like singles communities. Givat Shmuel, Be'er Sheva, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. You... I've seen on LinkedIn you posting about living in Netanya. Yeah. Can you uh, can you speak a little to the community why you I guess decided to move there, transition from the, the single Givachmuel area to yeah. the more uh, Kavua Netanya? Sure. Yeah. We, I lived in Givachmuel for about eight years, most of which was as a single. In the last couple of years, last three years, I think two and a half years, um, as uh, married. And um, we saw a lot of our friends come and go. We, we felt like it was more of a transient community. Yeah. So a couple of our friends. Our, some of our friends are still here, some renting, a couple of them have bought. Uh, but we really were ready to, to settle our roots. And we knew that we wanted to uh, to stay in the general Merkaz area, the general center of the country. Just practically, that's where we we're going to be working. My wife works and worked in high tech. Yeah. She's going to be probably in Tel Aviv. And I work kind of all over, so I need to be able to access places. Um, and I was sort of tired of the the transportation situation in Givat Shmuel where it can take, you know, half an hour in the morning just to get onto the highway. Right. Um, and there isn't great public transportation for getting uh, around the country. They're building the train now. They've, they've been building the train for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> I've already been gone for three years. Um, and since then, I have a 15-minute walk to the train station in Netanya, right. um, which is a 22-minute ride to North Tel Aviv, 30 minutes to South Tel Aviv. Um, which is where most people are taking it to, is to the Tel Aviv area. I have friends who work in Kesaria. They also, it's, you know, 20 minutes ride or whatever up to Kesaria. Herzliya is even along the way there. Even to, to Yerushalayim, it's an hour and a quarter by train to Yerushalayim. So that was a big part of it. Um, specifically, the apartment that we that we got is right around the corner from a, 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 the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The ramp they just built going onto the highway. So it's also super convenient getting getting around. Um, but that's, that's just technical things. We were looking for community. Um, we, we searched high, you know, far and wide for quite some time, even before we got married. Um, and once we, we heard of Kirat Sharon through, um, so we actually used to live in Givat Shmuel. He was uh, Rabbi Aaron Shir Herskovitz. Um, they, uh, they were here for, I think, about two years, three, three years. And they went on Shlichut to the UK um, just as we were getting married. And then when they came back, um, they were moving to, uh, to this place, Kirat Sharon, which I'd never heard of. Um, and I looked up on Google Maps, like, oh, this looks interesting. And um, then people know that I work in a lot of places. And so uh, someone had approached, someone who was living in Givat Shemal told me they were, decided they were going to buy there. They wanted me to be their agent. And so I was like, sure, I'll learn the market and figure it out. And so I found them a place. And then someone else from Yushalayim was referred to me who was going to be moving there. And I found them a place. And so I was going back and, back and forth all the time. I got to know the market well. I got to know the neighborhood a little bit. Uh, I thought maybe we should check this out for ourselves. And so we went for a Shabbos. This was pre, pre-corona, or early days of corona. Um, we went for Shabbos, and we absolutely loved the community. The couple who, who we knew there, that week had just chosen to be the rabbi, the rabbinical couple of the community. And we're yeah. like, if that's who they yeah. liked that they wanted their rabbi, then that, <laughs> then that says a lot about who the people are. Um, and yeah, we knew only a couple of people there. We didn't realize that we even knew people were there. And 
it's uh it's been absolutely lovely um it's a small but tight-knit growing community um natani in general is a beautiful city um you know i've uh i try to go running as often as i can it's like i can get to the get to the water in about 15 minutes um by car also i can get to the beach in 12 minutes and um it's great quality of life definitely uh something to say for living near the beach we usually like to end the interviews with uh some rapid fire questions all right israel great place i don't know you've clearly traversed the the map yeah sometimes it's a little hot particularly in Givach Well, if you could uh, geographically relocate the Holy Land to any other place, where would it be? Ooh, that's a tough one. Just based on climate? Climate, sites. Like, let's say the whole Torah happened somewhere else. Where would it be? I've never been to Australia, but other than the, other than the like, snakes and spiders, it looks like a beautiful place. All right, fine. Australia. We like to um, expose our listeners to some Israeli culture. What is your favorite Hebrew song? My favorite Hebrew song, um, Al Kolele. By who? Oh, you got me there. I don't know. It's okay. Clearly, uh, it's favorite, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, okay. So, of all the houses, of all the properties you've managed, you've sold, you've helped buy, Mm -hmm. was there one where you were managing, you're like, I would love to live here? Yeah, I've seen a lot of very nice places over the years. Is there one in particular that stands out? Um, so there's some that are great because of how they look and some that are great because of location. So I'm sort of torn between a couple of them. Um, there's one place that we go to a lot. There's a penthouse on Dizengoff, overlooking the water of uh, the, um, in Tel Aviv, overlooking the, the port area, which is a nice, very nice place to visit. Very right, cool. Hello, Davis. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Olim to the Sea. Recording and music are done by me, Matan Goldman. Editing and setup by Penny Silver. If you would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us by the email in the description, olimtothescene at gmail.com. Until next time.